The Penguins have a new president of hockey operations. How will this impact the direction of the team? Matt Vensel from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette will join us to discuss. The NFL season is months away, but it's never too early to talk football. We'll take you on a tour of the AFC North. Cincinnati Bengals insider Jason Garrison of SB Nation will join us to preview the defending division champions. After reclaiming the division lead, the Pirates dropped the last two games to the worst team in baseball. Have our expectations changed for this team after two months of action? I'm Dave Glass. And I'm Bob Anderson. Stay tuned as we discuss these topics and more as we go... Under review on Connect FM, your only local news radio. Now I look into your eyes, I can see forever. This ain't just over, you were with me all the while. Well, the search is over for now, Dave, and the Penguins got their man. Cal Dubas was hired last week, not as the general manager, but as the president of hockey operations. I don't know about you, Dave, but this feels like the right hire to me. This team needs a new, fresh vision, and I think Dubas can bring that. What do you think? Well, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Um, There's a reason that he was so highly sought after. Uh, Most people around the league, I've read a lot of quotes that say he's just brilliant. Um, You know, great hockey mind, really forward thinking. You're going to need some forward thinking with this roster. It's going to take, you know, kind of pulling a rabbit out of a hat, I think, to, to remake the bottom half of that roster. But the other thing is I looked around. There's a lot of teams in worse spots. I mean, a lot of teams are absolutely cap strapped. I mean, our, our old buddy Jim Rutherford in Vancouver, they're talking about, you know, I saw a thing on uh, The Athletic that, that said they could potentially buy out three contracts. And I don't wow. think they will, but they were talking about just what a mess it is out there. Dubas is going to have $20 million. I suspect it's going to be closer to 24 because I think Granlin's getting bought out. I just can't fathom them moving forward with that contract. And while that's going to cause problems in a couple years, that opens up almost all of his salary this year. And I really think they're going to have to re-sign uh, Zucker because if you look at the, this is the bad news. The free agent market is horrible right. this year. It's one of the worst ever. So he's going to have to get creative with some of his moves like Frankly, the Flyers did when they bump when they moved Provorov. We can talk about that later, but it's going to take some of this maybe two and three team moves to to remake that bottom six. And the other thing about Dubas that I like is he went out and found some really good values to round out his his roster. Now he had even bigger cap numbers in Toronto, younger core, really solid core, but they they paid those guys a premium, and he had to bargain Ben Hunt, and he did pretty well with that. So. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, we got the core three here. They had the core four in Toronto. I think they took up about 50% of the cap, so he's used to bargain hunting. Um, now, as far as the pens go, I mean, there's so many questions for him to to answer here, and he's not going to have a whole lot of time to really settle in because the NFL or the NHL draft's coming up here at the end of the month, and then at the beginning of next month, you know, you have uh, the start of free agency. Um, but it sounds like he's going to do most of the legwork because he's not going to hire a GM until the next month, it sounds like. Well, and I don't know if you read Josh Yowie's column, but Josh questions whether he should hire a GM at all. Now, yeah. I'm that's a little bit too far for me. I, I just think you're really taking a lot on, and you're asking a lot of to, to hire like three assistant GMs, knowing that they'll never be able to move into that role if you're going to do that. Um, I, I get that he wants to be the, the man with the last say, and that's fine, but I still think... I really believe he needs a GM to help, you know, even if it's somebody who's who can handle the scouting and, and that end of it and the minor leagues and, and divvy it up. Um, 
but yeah, if he's going to wait till after after the draft potentially, the good news is he's done a lot of legwork. You know, he did in Toronto before he got fired or parted ways or however that went down. He's going to bring a lot of that knowledge that he has from there. Even though I'm sure he didn't take any papers, he's a smart dude. He he knows what he saw and. Um, you know, our, our scouting staff's been hard at work. We actually have a first round pick this year. <laughs> Who knows if we keep it? Not I mean, used it, to that, you know, yeah. I, he may, if he, if he's really all in for next year, uh, maybe they get rid of that. Pick. That's what I, I wanted know. to ask you about. Do you think they should keep the 14th pick or should they use it to maybe dump one of those bad contracts and package it? Yeah. I mean, he did that with, uh, Patrick Marlowe in Toronto. He, he had to package a first round pick to get rid of him, but he got rid of the salary. Well, yeah, I don't count that as one of his better moves that he ended up in that situation. But, you know, at least here he he's not responsible for the mess he's in. I don't know, Bob. My thing is at some point, we've done this for fifteen years. At some point you have to rebuild the the you know, the cupboard. The, yeah. the cupboard's bare. Yeah. And if the right deal came along and it was a, a really premier player that I thought or he thinks can can make that kind of an impact, all right, maybe. I mean, you're taking – you figure you got one, two years max left where you've really got a chance. So, okay. But after that, I, if he does trade it, he'd better not trade another one for the next five years. All right. Well, what do you do about goaltending? Because that's the big we've, – we've debated this for a while. According to uh, projections – Tristan Jari is looking at a deal somewhere around $5 million a year, maybe four or five-year deal. I don't think you can give him that deal right now. There's too many questions about his injuries. Um, he's just been so inconsistent. I really feel like you almost offer him a short-term deal. If he doesn't take it, you got to move on. Uh, can you figure out goaltending? I can't figure out goaltending. I mean, no, look uh, at look at you know Aiden Vegas, Hill. Aiden Hill, yeah. and, and Bobrovsky, who everybody was down on. That was the worst contract in all of hockey until this year. And, you know, Murray, you know, the first two years was, you know, now, frankly, that was one of his worst moves in Toronto was he brought in Murray. They're probably going to end up buying him out. Um, so, yeah, I, the short version is I agree that it's probably a bad idea to give him a five year. I'm, I'm less worried about the dollars than the term. If he took a two year, $10 million deal, I would seriously look consider that. If he wants five years, I'd say best of luck, you know, see you yeah, later. One or two years, maybe. Um, but what's out there? I mean, that's... See, this well, the, I can tell you here, the UFAs this year include Jonathan Quick, Semyon Varlamov, Frederick Anderson, Cam Talbot. You have Alex Nedeljkovic from uh, Detroit, Aiden Hill, Halak, Corpusalo. That's really it for the UFAs. I mean, that isn't a very good list, but but then maybe, you know, there's people out on the market, apparently. If you look at the rumor mill, John Gibson, Connor Hellebuck's out well, there. And Hellebuck's a name I was going to talk about. I yeah. think they, they would move him, but... You're gonna to have to deal with that cap hit. Look, yeah. Hellebuck is the guy to me. I yeah. mean, I, and I know Pitts, Gibson's a Pittsburgh guy, but I haven't liked his game the last few years. If you can get Hellebuck, all right, that I'd move the first round pick for that guy. But can you make it work in your cap environment? Because in the end, if your if your bottom six is as terrible as it was last year, it doesn't matter if you've got Connor Hellebuck. So, they, and you know, Aiden Hills made himself a ton of money this month, the last you know, or six weeks. So that guy, he's going to, somebody's going to overpay him. You know that. And somebody's going to probably overpay Jari because he's still young and he's got, when he's right, he is really good. We yeah. know that. He's either good or unavailable. That seems to be the pattern. So. He might be the most attractive goalie on the free agent market, which is kind of scary in a way. But if you're if you're Tristan Jari, why would you take two years if somebody else is going to offer you five? I, I think he's gone um, myself, but... There are a lot of things, but hey, the other thing is I trust somebody like Dubas to have done his research and who can find the next Aiden Hill, somebody who's, you know, on a depth chart somewhere who 
you've never we haven't heard of or we have heard but he's not gotten the, his his best chance so you know of all those uf ufas you talked about i don't really want any of them to be honest well in some ways it feels like goalies are becoming like lottery picks you know have two on the roster and hope one gets hot in the playoffs you know don't pay anybody a big number like bobrovsky yeah he's gotten hot here in the playoffs but you know it generally isn't a good way to construct your team um, well, I look back at those Detroit teams, you know, they, the teams when we faced them in 08 oh, yeah. 09, they went cheap on goalies. Yep. And you could say maybe it cost them in 09, but you know what? They were right there and they only gave up two goals in game seven. I, well, look they at what had Vegas, the right model. Look at what Vegas is doing. They just insulate so well. They play such a good team defensive game that, you know, you put a goalie back there who's, you know, at least competent, he's probably going to make the stop. So if the Penguins can build a good enough team around them, then you know and i'm sure so that's what sully wants is is you yeah. know let's worry less about the goaltender and more about the the blue line and 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 everybody back checking so. and that is one last point i wanted to make about dubis it does seem like he really sang mike sullivan's praises and boy that'll feel good to have a coach and a uh in this case an executive on the same page because it sure wasn't on the same page with Hextall. No, it wasn't, but you do have to wonder. And look, I, I think Fenway Sports has made it clear that, that Sullivan's their guy, but every new GM slash team president or whatever who comes in with the power, at some point, if things go south, you know they're going to want their own guy. I Look, it's all Kumbaya right now, and I, I'm a Sully guy. I've always been a Sully guy. You know that. I just hope it works out because he his contract extension doesn't even kick in until this year. So I think he... The, the, you know, FSG isn't going to want to get rid of him. Yeah. Well, it seems like they have deep pockets. But when we return, we'll continue our Penguins discussion by bringing in Matt Venzel from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Stay, stay with us as we continue Under Review on Connect FM. All right, welcome back to Under Review. I'm Bob Anderson, and he is Dave Glass. We had our own thoughts about the direction of the Penguins, but uh, what do we really know, Dave? Nothing, apparently. Uh, yeah. Well, let's bring in someone who might know a little bit more than us, right? Matt Vensel covers the Penguins for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and he's been a friend of the show. Matt, welcome back. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're great. Except we're, for the smoke, we're yeah, wonderful. <laughs> exactly. How is it down there in Pittsburgh? It's not too bad today. I, I, I went out for a little run. I braved the elements. We'll see <laughs> if I regret that. 25 years from now, but it's yeah. not too bad in Pittsburgh right now. Well, that's well, good to hear. No, we appreciate you making the time for us, and uh, we wanted to talk about uh, the search for the Penguins. It, we said the search is over. It took 55 days. I was looking at the calendar, and the Penguins finally got their man in Cal Dubas. But um, I'm curious, just a broad one for you, what do you think of the hire, Matt? I think it's a great hire. I really do. I mean, you never know how things are going to turn out. Um, but I feel pretty confident in saying that he's not going to do a bad job. Will he get to the Penguins to back to win a Stanley Cup? That's incredibly hard to do, especially given the circumstances. But, you know, of all the people that were, you know, rumored to be linked to the Penguins, and, and we're talking about maybe two dozen people, um, you know, I think Cal Dubas is, you know, the most exciting candidate. I mean, I know people like to point to his playoff track record in Toronto, but, um, you know, I see a guy who has – you know, a ton of experience, but is only 37 years old because he was a bit of a prodigy of sorts, you know, becoming the second youngest, you know, GM in NHL history. Um, he likes analytics, but he's not married to analytics. Um, he's known as a people person. Um, so there's a lot to like, and he's a creative thinker too, which I think is important given some of the challenges with the roster construction and no trade clauses and things like that. So I think it's a good hire. We'll see what they do to build out the front office, but 
Um, you know, I think the Penguins should feel pretty good about how everything turned out, especially because three weeks ago, four weeks ago, it looked like Dubas wouldn't even be on the market. Yeah, it seemed like um, the Penguins were ready to even hire somebody else. In fact, uh, there were rumors that they were ready to offer to, the, the job to somebody. We don't know who that person may have been, but it seems like Dubas just completely changed their their course there. Uh, and it seemed to me like it was more a process of convincing Dubas that the Penguins are the right fit rather than vice versa. Is that how you interpret it? Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's why they let everything kind of linger for so long. And it wasn't even just convincing him. It was convincing his wife and um, his young kids, too. Now, I think his kids are two and six, so they probably just had to get him a Happy Meal or something. But the wife was the big one. Um, I know some of the, uh, you know, that they're, essentially their head of PR was, was helping Kyle Dubas's wife, like touring the area with her and trying to sell her on Pittsburgh. Because, you know, when Kyle, um, you know, before he was had the parting of ways with Toronto, he talked about how the season took a toll on him and his family and he wasn't sure if he'd want to do it in the first place. So, you know, he initially said at his press conference last week that, you know, he was ready to take some time and, and didn't want to take, you know, kind of said, you know, I, we should take some time off. And his wife kind of nudged him and said, well, why don't you go and talk to him and see what you think about it and we'll go up from there. And that's kind of what put him on the path to take the job. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a sales job by both the Penguins, um, you know, selling him on, on the fact that this was a good job and he would have the kind of control he wanted. And I'm sure he got a pretty good financial compensation, but also family mattered, too, with a young family to kind of figure out where they wanted to go from from Toronto. Well, and one of the things that I, I think is Toronto is, you know, such a, a crazy media market for hockey, and he's always under the microscope. I mean, Pittsburgh's a great hockey town, but he, he can probably go down the street in Pittsburgh and, and not run into the same trouble and, you know, his kids in school. So, I, you know, you've seen as well as I have, there's been a lot of people who have come to Pittsburgh and maybe been skeptical, and, and Mario is is kind of the, the, the poster boy for that, who end up loving it here. I mean, do you think that there's a good chance that he maybe even – puts down some roots if he stays here a while? Potentially. I mean, you see a lot of former players and coaches and executives do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting balance because people do care about hockey here. It's a passion hockey town. Um, you know, as we saw with what happened with Ron Hextall, I mean, the fire Hextall chance and, and some of the media criticism. I mean, you know, you can't totally escape that here, but it, it's certainly nothing compared to Toronto in terms of how, you know, I'm sure players and, and coaches and executives, that they – kind of bump into a few people here and there that'll give them the business verbally about the job they're doing. But it seems like for the most part, um, you know, people here are pretty respectful and appreciative of, of, of who these people are um, and kind of let them live their lives. Whereas, yeah, like, you know, if, you know, Kyle Dubas or Sidney Crosby or, you know, Mike Sullivan were to, you know, go to Montreal or Toronto, I mean, their lives would be drastically different just because of the attention that it is paid there to the team. So I guess the, the, one of the biggest questions he has right out of the box, and he doesn't have a whole lot of time to think about it, is is the draft and, you know, trying to balance rebuilding the farm system, which is pretty barren, versus keeping this window at least slightly ajar. What, what's your, what's your um, forecast? Is he going to use that pick or is he going to trade that pick to try to help the roster? Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. It's going to tell us a lot about how Kyle Dubas kind of views the, the short-term future of the Penguins. I mean, he talked at his press conference about wanting to to try to, to contend now, but also having an eye for a future that's that's really difficult to do. Obviously, Ron Hexel wasn't able to pull it off. So going in this draft, I, I, I do think it's going to be fascinating to see what he ultimately does. I mean, I, I definitely think there's a high likelihood. I'm not saying it's like, better than 50-50, but I'd say there's a good shot that they trade that number 14 
overall pick. I mean, it all depends on what's available. Um, you know, we've seen guys like Alex Debrinkit, Kirby Dock, younger players get traded. Also, Casperi Capitan. We know that didn't work out so well here. So, you know, if they can maybe kind of thread the needle of finding a trade where they get a really good NHL player um, who can help them now, someone who is, you know, in their mid-20s, so it's not just, you know, win-now move, and, and maybe if they can kind of shed some salary in that trade as well. I mean, maybe there's there's a trade out there that makes sense for them to do it. If not, um, you know, pick the best player, and you know, you can always you can always trade that kid later if you need to do it. But um, you know, I do think a trade is, is something that is, is you know possible for sure. We're talking to Matt Venzel from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Matt, um, one of the other big questions that Dubis is going to have is about Tristan Jari here with the goaltending situation. And we were talking before you came on about. You know, it's it's a pre, pretty big gamble to give him a, a longer-term deal, and we're not so sure he would accept a short-term deal. So what do you think uh, the Penguins are going to do when it comes to the goaltending position? Yeah, it's hard to see Tristan coming back for, for some of the things you just mentioned. I mean, the Penguins rightfully should be hesitant to give him a long-term deal. I mean, you see a lot of teams just regretting long-term deals, period. Um, you know, the Sergei Bobrovsky deal looked like a real dud throw off from for Florida and suddenly has him in the Stanley Cup finals. But so teams are leery of doing that. I know Cal Dubas doesn't really have a track record of paying big uh, bucks for um, a goalie, maybe because he didn't have one to pay big bucks for. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be hesitant. But with Jari, I mean, you also have the fact that he's let them down the last three years when they needed him most in part to the injury. And the injury questions about him, you know, linger that he's dealing with some sort of chronic issue that, um, you know, he might never be able to completely shake. So, you know, I, I think the Penguins would be wise to at least talk to him and, and see if he'd be willing to accept a, a kind of like a prove-it type deal. And, and it would probably be wise of Jari to say, yeah, I'm not doing that. I, I'm a two-time All-Star and it's a weak free agent class and I can do better on the market. So, you know, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how this one plays out, too. Another big question, but, you know, it's just kind of hard to see everything lining up to the point where the Penguins would, would be able to bring him back at, you know, a salary figure and a contract term that would appeal to Tristan. You think there's any way that Dubas can convince uh, other GMs out there that uh, Michael Granlin has a, a good season left in him and maybe they can get rid of that contract? I mean, I don't, I don't see any way. I mean, unless they take back a, a, an equally bad contract. I, I think with Granlin, um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the Penguins gave up a second-round pick to get him, and you know, it was a move that was widely panned at the time. This isn't even revisionist history, but you know, they gave up a second-round pick, and they they might have to give up a second-round pick to get rid of that contract. I mean, if you look at the the three-team trade that happened yesterday, I mean, LA essentially gave up, you know, a second-round pick to shed similar salary. So would the Penguins want to do that or does it make more sense just to buy him out? I mean, he is the one player that it actually makes sense for the Penguins to consider a buyout. Um, I was looking at the numbers earlier today on cap friendly and, you know, they'd free up about 4 million. I think it's like 3.8 million in cap space this year, 2.8 million next year. Now they'd be paying some more money a couple years down the road. But at that point, they might have already have been kind of pivoting to a rebuild anyway. So I do think it makes a lot of sense for them to buy it out. And you kind of feel bad for Granlin. It's not his fault. The Penguins brought him in when he had that big contract, but it just obviously didn't work out here for him. And, um, 
you know, for the Penguins to get younger and better and create some more space, it, it makes sense to get rid of them one way or another. I'm going to take you out of town for just a moment. There was a big trade this week between uh, L.A., Columbus, and Philly, and I, I, I'm curious as your take. My take is that Philly really did a nice job here. L.A. did what they needed to do, and I have no idea what Columbus thinks they have. They're kind of going all in with a roster that looks pretty bad to me, but what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up well. I mean, from L.A.'s perspective, it was it was a salary dump. Um, they wanted a, to re-sign uh, Gavrikov, the defense, when they got at the deadline, so that deal allowed them to do it. Philly, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you know, we'll see how long they, they stick to it. They're, they're famously impatient there in Philly and haven't really ever embraced a, a real rebuild. But, you know, by getting rid of Provorov and taking on some salary to pick up a few picks, I think that's pretty smart business. And then, yeah, as far as Columbus goes, you know, this is a team that a couple years ago said, okay, we're going into a rebuild. And then they got, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, and, and suddenly it looks like they're trying to, to accelerate that timeline. They also brought in Mike Babcock. I just don't think that's like a smart way of doing business. Now, they, they have had a lot of high picks in recent years, and so maybe they feel like, okay, we have enough in the pool to do it. But, you know, I think anytime you take on these half measures with trades like this, um, it usually doesn't end out well. And, you know, you wonder if, if the GM there, Kekalainen, is feeling pressure. I don't think so. I mean, he seems to have a lot of clout there, but this sure kind of reeks of a GM who's desperate to save his job. So, yeah, for, from Columbus's perspective, it's a real head-scratcher, and I think as far as the Flyers are concerned, it's a home run. Well, I did see Carter Hart's name out in the rumor mill, too. I don't think he'll be heading to the Penguins, though. (laughs) Hey, Matt, we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, Thank you so much, and we'll hope to talk to you again maybe over the summer. You got it. Anytime I'm here. All right. Thank you so much. When we return, we'll get you caught up on the latest with the Pirates and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Stay with us as we continue Under Review on Connect FM. Welcome back here to Under Review. I'm Bob Anderson and he's Dave Glass. I have a hodgepodge of different sports topics for you here in this segment, Dave. And uh, I thought we'd start with the Pirates. I don't know. I know that you don't like spoilers. Did you watch a game today? I I was really busy at work, but I I did... um... I kept getting alerts, so yes, yeah. I'm I'm aware that it did not go well. well I, I saw was, the I saw the score after one inning. I'm yeah, like, it was well, basically okay. over after the first inning, right? But yeah. um, you know, the Pirates they started the season twenty and nine, and they followed that up in May with an eight and eighteen record. I, I think we know the tale of the two months there. Um, they're now thirty two and twenty nine overall after a couple of ugly losses to the worst team in baseball. But uh, do you think this team is closer to the one that we saw in April or closer to the one that we saw in May? I, 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 they're just so streaky. I mean, we talk about this, and yeah, it, it, it stings to lose. I mean, Oakland is not just the worst team in baseball. They're not the worst team in the last 20 years. They might be the worst team in the last 100 years. They're on pace, until they beat us twice, to go 24 and 100. That is hard to do. Yeah, this I was mean, their first road win since the month of yeah, April. I, so, okay, that's horrible. But before that, we swept the Cardinals. And I know the Cardinals are struggling this year, but that's a team that has traditionally given the Pirates fits. And one of those games was a really nice comeback. I think it was the first game of the series. They were down 4 nothing. I think. Um, I, was, I was away last week, so I was kind of watching it from afar. But... You know, after the weekend, I'm like, oh, they're back. They, you know, they think they'd won five in a row and blah, blah, blah. And this is great. And all we need to do is take two out of three from Oakland. I didn't, you know, you never think you're going to sweep a team. But two out of three would be great. And then our ace got pounded last night. I thought, well, tomorrow, <laughs> no. So to answer your question, I don't know. I think they're, 
if you if you put a gun to my head, I'd say they're closer to the April team because they're not a bad team. I mean, even after all this, it, they might be a game out of first place. Now the division isn't great, but they're over five hundred. It's it's mid June now. That you know, most pirate fans. If you put a gun to their head, would say, yeah, you know, before the season, heck yeah, I'll take 500 on on June 7th. So we have to have that perspective. And they have prospects coming, and they did lose Cruz. So, you know, they've had some adversity, too. The, the catcher prospects are coming. I saw Davis just got promoted to AAA, and he's been raking. So I, I, I'm still an optimist about this team's future. I thought this year was always bonus. If they finish – 79 wins 80 even 81 and 81 it's like hey that's great you know this was a hundred lost team a year ago so yeah they're they're doing better than i think our projections at the beginning of the season for sure and they are keeping us interested for the at the least um you know with you know nothing really going on sports wise and i'm a process guy you know and and it's interesting because matt talked about you know people get on dubas for his playoff record do you want to judge a team on a seven-game series or on an 82-game series in hockey? I will always judge on the bigger. And the same in baseball. You know, it's a 162-game season. There's going to be ups and downs. And, I'm, you know, guys are going to go through slumps like, you know, some of our guys earlier in the year and, and even last month. But I look at who's improving and who – and one of the guys is Hayes. Even though his average is still down, they showed last night in the broadcast his – his line drive percentage and his speed off the bat is way up the last month. And and so you do that, the results will come. You know, if you're hitting line drives 33% of the time, you're going to get your share of hits. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the technical aspects of baseball, but I'd love to ask Coach Caleri if we have him on. Apparently he added a toe tap to his swing, and that seems to be making a difference. Well, and, and everybody's, you know, baseball players are almost as superstitious as Sidney Crosby about some of this stuff a lot of times. So, you know, they'll, they'll do almost anything if it'll get him a hit. But sometimes it is just that, you know, you're in a funk and you make that little adjustment and bam, all of a sudden the ball looks like a beach ball. But they still have pitching issues. Uh, I still don't like the bottom of their lineup, but I think the bottom of their lineup is going to be fixed when they get some of these prospects up. So, I, look, this was, like I said, this was a free roll. It's next year I'm really looking for. Um, I hope that ownership will continue to invest and bring in some pieces because they, they, they're going to need to go get one or two players to fill this out. Switching topics, the uh... – Florida Panthers find themselves down 2-0 to the Vegas Golden Knights, and they're probably hoping that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas because <laughs> they really struggled in in those first two games. I don't know if it was the layoff or what, but uh, how do they get back in this series? Well, I mean, obviously the, 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 the real short answer is they have to win game three. If you yeah. lose game three, you might as well forget it. But Vegas is bigger. They're stronger. Um, and to a certain extent, what Bobrovsky was doing was not sustainable. I, I talk about that a lot. If you go over the longer term, this is why I talked about you know short term versus long term. Yeah, it was great what he did for a couple rounds there, but there's a reason nobody does that. Nobody's a 950 save percentage over a whole season. You just it's physically impossible. And he's coming back to earth a little bit. I think that was probably predictable. And but more to the point, they're not scoring enough goals. I mean, this is a team that when I saw them in the regular season, they could outscore you. They, you know, the Penguins had a couple of barn burners with them. And they're just not getting it done. We talked before we went on the show. Vegas is doing a marvelous job of insulating Hill in the goal. Um, not too many second chances. Um, you know, I, 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 Kachuk looks frustrated to me. Um, you know, now that was a clean, it was a clean hit he made on Eichel. Take on that. Yeah. Well, and Eichel even said it was halfway his fault. He had his head down then he Mm -hmm. kind of toe picked and he fell into it. So, okay, that's fine. But, but 
when when you see the other team's star player looking for that play rather than trying to get the goal, it, it's it tells me something about where their head's at. Um, so we'll see. But yeah. it, but I also wanted to point out that it seems like in the NHL you see a lot of these Cinderella teams where they strike midnight in the finals. I think of 91, that was a terrible North Stars team. And I think of 2017 where the eighth seed got into the you know, to the Penguins. And there's been others. It, it's, you know, it seems like oftentimes you can get through three rounds, but getting that fourth round is when they kind of get exposed. And I kind of feel like we're seeing that. Now that could turn around. If they win game three, then all bets are off, but we'll see. And I did see the ratings are up actually for the series, which a lot of people were questioning about the, you know, the non-traditional teams here. But uh, apparently the these are the highest ratings on cable TV since 2002. I didn't so know that. So 21 wow, years. That, that, the, the opener drew that. And it's 11% higher than the five-year average the last five years. So well, good for them. Yeah. I, I, I've always had a problem with these these folks who say, well, you've got to have a New York team and you've got to have a Chicago team and, a, you know, whatever. You know, some fans want to see different teams. And I know, look, we're Penguins fans. Most of the NHL world is tired of the Penguins. Okay, so I get it. And and it's so I'm if, if my Penguins are out and they were I'm happy to see some new blood in there. It's exciting. I wanted to see McDavid make the final. I don't have anything invested in Edmonton, but that'd be good for the sport. Yeah, I was glad to see Tampa Bay lose for that reason. Well, there you go. Um, now, last uh, hodgepodge topic here. We're going to be joining or bringing in a guest here in the next segment from the Cincinnati Bengals. He's an insider. Uh, we're going to take you on a little tour of the division here in the in the month ahead. And the AFC North should be one of the best, if not the best division in, in, in the NFL. We've talked a lot about the Steelers. We haven't talked a lot about their rivals, so uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to get into the, into the throes of it here. But we're going to be talking about the Bengals. Do you think that they are, again, the team to beat in the division? Yes. I mean, Joe Burrow, to me, is the elite quarterback in the division, and everybody else has to prove that they can stick with him. We, you know, we've talked about this before. You have to have a full team to be a championship team, but if you don't have that quarterback, you're, you're way behind the eight ball. They've got that guy, and he has proven himself toe-to-toe with the Mahomeses and, you know, against Buffalo and, and, and on the big stage. So, yeah, until somebody knocks them off, and I mean not just one game, but for the season, they're, they're the champs in the division. And, and I learned a lot in the first game last year. I thought they played about as poorly as they could possibly play against Pittsburgh, and we still probably should have lost the game. So it's like, wow, that's a good team that can go, you know, 0 and 5 in the turnover, minus 5 in the turnover ratio and still almost win. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, to me, though, this might be their best opportunity because Burrow's still on his rookie contract. Mm-hmm. They have both of the wide receivers. T. Higgins, I believe, only has one year left. So it feels like, to me, they need to get it done this year if they're going to get it done. And that's something we can even ask is there, I don't think they need to get it done because Mahomes well, is their best opportunity. It, it's going to be a really, yeah, once you're off that rookie contract, it, the life gets a lot harder. Yes. Right. All right, so when we return, we'll be talking to Jason Garrison, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals insider. Stay with us as we continue our sports talk here on Under Review on Connect FM. Welcome back to Under Review. Uh, we were talking before the break about how we're going to take you on a tour of the AFC North, and we'd start right here at the top with the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're excited to bring in Jason Garrison, a Bengals insider, a contributor to the Cincy Jungle website, and the host of the Three and Out podcast. Jason, thanks for coming on. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you for, for uh, having me come in first before you 
interview any of the bums from Cleveland or Baltimore. <laughs> we'll make sure we pass that along too to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so catch us up on the Bengals off season. What were the key additions? What were the key subtractions yeah. to the roster? We'll start with the additions. Uh, the biggest addition in free agency was Orlando Brown Jr., uh, the, the our new left tackle uh, that defected from the Chiefs. Um, but uh, he's going to kind of be the uh, he's well he's going to be the new kind of the cornerstone of the of the Bengals offensive line. And then they're moving uh, left former left tackle Jonah Williams to right tackle. Well, he'll compete with Leo Collins when he's when he's healthy. But uh, with Orlando Brown Jr. and then Cordell Bolson who uh, was drafted last year, and then the additions of Ted Karras and Alex Kappa from from last from last offseason, I think this is going to be the best. Bengals offensive line we've seen as long as everyone's healthy and it works the way that they're hoping it does uh, since, you know, 2015 or so when Andy Dalton was in a, there was a short period of time where he was on the MVP list. Um, and then as far as, as uh, guys that, that we lost, uh, it, it's going to be the safety position. Um, the Bengals lost both Jesse Bates and uh, Von Bell uh, in free agency. And I, and I, I think they knew they were going to lose Bates. You know, that's why they drafted Dax Hill out of Michigan in the first round of the 2022 draft. But I think that Von Bell, you know, losing him hurt them a little bit. Uh, they did sign Nick Scott uh, from the Rams, but he uh, he only has like one full year of, of starting experience at, uh, at a safety. And then they drafted Jordan Battle in the third round out of Alabama. So uh, we really don't know what we're going to have. You know, Von Bell and Jesse Bates, they were huge parts of the defense. And uh, now that whole back end is going to basically be just totally inexperienced. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they can do uh, in the defensive secondary. Well, I'm a big fantasy football guy, and I have to tell you, I want a piece of this Bengals offense on my team uh, when you got Joe Burrow and perhaps the best wide receiver duo in the league. So what do you expect from the offense this season, Jason? Well, I mean, it should be explosive. Um, not only Not only when it comes to passing with Joe Burrow, who's just – I think he has the record now for the most or for the most accurate passer or something like that. I don't know what it is, but he's extremely accurate. Um, but uh, he, uh, the combination and his, you know, his pass with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, and he got Tyler Boyd in the slot, who might be one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. And they added Irv Smith Jr. But you also got Joe Mixon in the backfield. He had a down year um, last year, but uh, you know, hopefully he can bounce back. Um, but you know, with that new new offensive line, I'm expecting Joe Burrow to have more time in, in the pocket and also open new holes for Joe Mixon uh, in, in the offense. So the whole offense really, on paper, looks great. I will see what happens when the season starts. Looking at, at their draft, and you you went over a few of their picks, but how, how would you? And, and I, I'm doing something I normally don't like to do because we haven't even seen them on the field. But your kind of your snap reaction. Do you feel like Cincinnati checked all the boxes they needed to? Uh, or did you think they left something on the table in terms of a need? You know, I'm, I that's tough because when they went on the clock at number 28, I think most Bengals fans or analysts kind of figured, hey, the, the two the two main needs are going to be depth at cornerback and tight end. And they had Joey Porter Jr. sitting right there. And then they also had uh, Michael Mayer sitting right there. And I figured it, Michael Mayer, he fell to them, it's going to be a slam dunk. And then they ended up going with, with Miles Murphy. And that's that's fine. I mean, maybe they just don't value. Well, it's clear they don't value tight end as a, as a premium position and defensive end. You know, you can't have too many pass rushers. They ended up getting DJ Turner in the second round uh, at cornerback, uh, but they never really addressed the tight end position. And then it was just like a dagger in the heart. I was thinking, oh, they're going to get they're going to get Washington, the kid out of Georgia, and then he ended up going to 
to the Steelers. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that they value tight end the way that I was expecting them to. I think they would have taken a tight end in the first when Michael Mayer was there or in the third, uh, but they ended up moving back and, and drafting battle instead. But, um, you know, I, you can't have too many pass rushers, so I'm happy with Miles Murphy. I'm glad they got that depth at cornerback with, with D.J. Turner, and now they have, you know, some competition, strong safety. Other than that, they filled some holes. You know, they have some more depth than wide receiver. They got Charlie Jones, who I think he'll probably take over for Boyd in the slot next year. And they got Chase Brown. Uh, he's not going to – I don't think he'll replace Mixon, but I think he'll be a good replacement for Samaj P. Ryan. And then they, they grabbed a punter. Punting was an issue for them down the stretch last year. So, so yeah. I, I, overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy. It was, it was surprising, and now that I've had some time to, to, uh, to digest it, I'm pretty happy with what they've done. Well, as a Steeler fan, I'm just as glad they didn't take Porter because that's who I really wanted them to get. But Yeah, uh, oh, no, I get it. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were talking before you came on very briefly about the fact that um, this is Burroughs, the end of his rookie contract, and obviously that's a tremendous competitive advantage to be paying, you know, a premier elite quarterback such a, a small percentage of what he's actually worth. That's going to obviously change. He's going to make $50 million. He could probably, you know, whatever he wants, you guys are going to pay it. I understand. But – Bob said, I really feel like they need to take advantage of it this year. I say he's so good that like Mahomes, even when he's making all this money, they're going to be competitive for the next probably seven, eight years. What, what's your take? Do you think this is really the opportunity or is this just, you know, they'll, they'll manage around it? Well, I, I think it is the opportunity, but maybe for different reasons. Um, I, I do think that Burrow is good enough that the, win, the Super Bowl quote unquote window will be open the majority of his career, you know, like, like you said, like with Patrick Mahomes is, uh, but the fact that he is on his rookie deal, I mean, that I'm expecting an extension any day now. So I, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with that, but the fact that he is on his rookie deal and the fact that I think after 2024, they only have like four guys on defense that are going to be under contract. They're going to lose DJ reader. Uh, they could lose T Higgins after this year. They could lose Logan Wilson after this year, after this year. Uh, they're going to lose Tyler Boyd after this year. There's a lot, and especially on the defense, uh, Chidobe Awuzie is another guy that's been start, a starter for them that's been very good. They're going to lose him. Um, so after this year, right now this year, not only is the window open, the garage door's open, the front door's <laughs> open, the back door's open, but after next year, some of those, those doors close and maybe it's just a window after that. Yeah, we're talking to Bengals insider Jason Garrison here. And Jason, to us, um, you know, the, the Bengals are definitely the team to beat. Uh, how do you see the rest of the division shaping up? Do you think the Steelers might be able to uh, leg out a wild card spot here? Or how do you see things playing out in the AFC North? I do see. I do. I could see the Steelers doing that. I, I think the two teams to beat, I think the Bengals, like you said, have the edge in the AFC North. I think they're the most complete and best team in the division. I think Baltimore, depending on as long as Lamar Jackson can stay healthy, you know, they brought in OBJ. Um, there's rumors that they're going to bring in uh, um, wide receiver. I'm just blanked on his name now, wide receiver from Arizona. Oh, Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't really know what's going to happen with them. I, you know, I think that they'll probably be second, but I could see, I mean, the way that Kenny Pickett kind of came on the last half of the last season, and they have an extremely talented team. I mean, you, you talk about. You know, bringing in Allen Robinson, I think that the struggles he had with the Rams are, are kind of a, a fluke. We know what he can do. You know, George Pickens is the real deal. Deontay Johnson's the real deal. Najee Harris is scary. Uh, I, I think Pat Fryermuth is a top five or six tight end as far as receiving in the NFL. And then you got Darnell Washington, too. 
the offensive line for the Steelers kind of scares me a little bit, but that defense is going to be nuts. I mean, they got a great, great defense. I wish, I wish, I was hoping Larry Ogunjobi would uh, come back to Cincinnati, but obviously that didn't happen. But uh, Joey Porter Jr., Minka Fitzpatrick, all those guys, you know, and then you got TJ Watt, probably, you know, the, one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. And then up in Cleveland, a, a, a great defense. I think Cleveland's the big wild card. It, it all, it's all going to come down to what, who is Deshaun Watson? Like, is it going to be the guy that, We've seen play in the past where he's very good, or is it going to be the guy that played the last half of the last year? I mean, but if I was going to rank the teams, I would probably say Bengals number one, Ravens two, Steelers three, Browns four, and I could see the Steelers and Ravens both getting a wild card spot. Well, um, <clears throat> you talk about you know the, the, how good you think the Steelers are going to be and and, and so on, but. You know, I, what do you make of what Cleveland's actually trying to do? I mean, we, you know, it's our first time talking to you, and I just, I never understood what they did with, with the quarterback position. Um, you know, they've been taking so many stabs at this, and then to give that contract and all that guaranteed money when he couldn't even play, you know, it, it seems like they stake their entire future, the next five years, on, on, on such a gamble. I mean, do you think that's going to pay up? Do you think he's actually going to be good this year, or or what do you see there? I well, the the bad thing is if he's not great, then they look like then they look like morons, and I kind of think they already do. I mean, the fact you know, I don't know if if they thought that this fully guaranteed contract nonsense was gonna was gonna you know be the new trend and that everyone else is gonna do it that way, but that isn't what happened with Lamar Jackson. It's not gonna happen with Joe Burrow. It's, it's not gonna happen with anybody. And now they're they're paying this guy who was mediocre at, at best last year and who has, you know, all these off field issues that we, you know, we don't even really need to get into. Everyone knows what those are. Um, you know, they're paying this guy a ton of money. And if they, if it doesn't translate to big wins, and I mean like big postseason wins, then they got, you know, they're going to have to eat crow. And I, I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I, I, I just honestly, to be blunt, I think it's a poorly run football team. That's, that's all it is. Swinging back to Cincinnati for just a second. I mean, I think we're all in agreement. We, I'm on record as saying that you guys are what the Steelers are now, what the Steelers were the last decade. You're, you're, you're going to be the franchise to beat in the NFC North. But if something were to go wrong in Cincy, what do you think? Is it because your secondary problems or is it because maybe your running back situation continues to be a factor? I mean, if you look at your crystal ball, the best case, you guys can win the Super Bowl easily. I could, I wouldn't shock yeah. me at all. Worst case, what do you go like 10 and seven? It's because your defense failed or what, what would you see? I would say this year, and maybe this is me being the ultimate, the ultimate uh, optimist, but I would say this year, worst case scenario is there's a bad injury. You know, whether it be to someone on the offensive line that they're getting going, or maybe it's to Joe Burrow, or you know, if if Chase, if if Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, if one of those guys gets gets injured, it's a lot easier to double the other guy. You know, so something like that. You know, the the health of the team. But that that's anybody. Um, if I was going to pick one thing that could be their Achilles heel, it would probably be the secondary this year. That I mean, those two guys at safety, there's Blue Anarumo runs a pretty complicated system at, at defensive coordinator, and those two guys are very experienced in his system, and there's a lot of talk and trading back and forth, and you lost all of that. You know, if they had been able to retain Von Bell and then move Dax Hill to replace Bates, I'd be much more confident. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe, maybe you know, Nick Scott will be really good. Maybe Dax Hill will be really good, but we just don't know right now. So I would say that's their biggest weakness right now is, is that is the secondary because the safety position. Well, we appreciate you getting us, uh, you know, caught up here on what the Bengals have been doing. And uh, we'll be looking forward to maybe getting you on maybe during the football season, Jason. So tell our Absolutely. listeners, yeah, how, how can they uh, find your work? 
Yeah, uh, so I'm a contributor on CincyJungle.com, uh, which is a part of SB Nation's uh, network. Uh, I have a weekly column on there, and then I just write random stuff. And so if you want to check out my nonsense, CincyJungle.com. And then uh, weekly, I have a show uh, through Cincy Jungle and the Orange and Black Insider on YouTube that's broadcast as well on all the, you know, wherever you stream podcasts uh, called Three and Out with uh, Jason and Kevin with myself and my co-host Kevin Brown. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care. And we're back. And uh, just like every hour we do this, Dave, the time just goes so fast. Um, I don't have a whole lot in the get lost department sports wise, but we did mention it with Matt Vensel. Get lost. Hashtag get lost to this smoke. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. It's so bad here. I'm a pilot. Two miles visibility. It's actually illegal to fly visual today. And it's only because of this smoke. And, and, you know, my son had uh, practice canceled. It's it's dangerous out there. Yeah, so crazy. It's like a scene from the apocalypse in New York City and the oh, other, in the East Coast. It's even worse. Unbelievable. So, yeah, definitely get lost to that. Get lost to this dry weather. We need rain really badly. But back to sports. Hashtag get lost to whatever it is that golf is now because, you know, I was firmly on the side of the PGA against this Saudi thing. I, you know, I didn't like live golf and they were standing up and I feel bad for people like Rory McIlroy who were standing tall yep. and, you know, we're going to, and, and then they got the rug swept right off from under them by their own uh, tour commissioner. I don't know how that guy keeps his job. And so nobody saw this coming. Yeah, get lost to that whole mess. Yep. And uh, Dave Herzing, I hope you're listening out there. We miss you and we hope that you'll come back to us next week and uh, we'll continue our sports talk here on connect FM. So thank you for joining us this hour and we'll see you next week on under review.